Father God, we just thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are good and you are faithful, Lord, and that you hear the cry of our hearts, Lord. Oh, Father God, that you know every need and every situation, Lord, that's coming here this morning, Lord, and that you're making a way, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you're the way maker this morning, Lord. And that, Father God, we just ask you to come and have your way in our lives, Lord, this morning. Come and speak through Pastor Paul. Holy Spirit, speak through him. Let the word of the Lord be in his mouth, Lord. Oh, and give us ears to hear it and hearts to receive it, Lord. Oh, we desire you, Lord, and we long for you, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. Have your way in our lives, Lord. We long for you, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God bless you for being here. Are you glad to be here today, church? Amen. We're glad you're here. Make a couple notes here, just a second. Boy, it's good to be in God's house. Amen. God is so good. Did he step out? All right, I'll catch him in just a second. I want to do a real quick shout out. We have spent the, this weekend um, having a family reunion at our house and at uh, Elizabeth's sister's house for um, Elizabeth's mother's side of the family. Uh, our daughter, Rita Marie, was named after Elizabeth's mother, Rita Marie Brown, who is Rita Marie Von Gutten. And we have had a Von Gutten um, family reunion this weekend. And we've got some, uh, some of those members here today. Elizabeth's mom's brother, Fred, and his wife, Linda Von Gutten, are here. Their daughter, Lisa, right beside them. Amen. Also, uh, my mother-in-law's sister, Ann Roof, and her daughter, Cheryl and Jay Welty. We're so glad to have y'all. Amen. And, I'm sorry, and uh, Elizabeth's sister, Nicole and Arnold Ogbenog. I don't know where you guys are. We're, oh, right there in front of me. <laughs> We've had such a great weekend, and in first, first service, uh, the other half were here. Uh, Elizabeth's dad was here, and uh, one of the other cousins and husbands were here, and it's just been a great weekend. Now, I'm going to go back to that, but I've got one other shout-out that we've got to do. Rob, come up here. Come on. Let's go. Let me introduce Dr. Robert Owens. Bless you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Robert has finished all the work that is required of him for his Ph.D. at Tennessee Tech, and he'll be graduating August 6th. Is that right? First. First. Can't miss that. If I show up August 6th, I guess I'll miss it. August 1st. And what an accomplishment. Let me tell you, the Lord has been with him, and he has, you've done it. God is good. And Robert is one of our new deacons that we're going to be installing this Wednesday night. Now, let me just do that quickly now. Come Wednesday night, be a part of us installing our two new deacons and us giving a farewell to the two that are rotating off. We're going to have a fellowship afterwards. And I would just encourage you, come on Wednesday nights, 6.30 Wednesday nights. We have service. 
And uh, I usually preach a, a series sermon on Wednesday nights now, and um, we're seeing some growth on Wednesday nights now that we're not doing Sunday nights for the summer. Find a life group to be a part of. We need you in life group. You need to be in life group. You need to be in life group, and you need to have people that you can throw stuff at, throw stuff at, that you can uh, bounce things off of. Yeah, don't throw things at them. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, I will say that one of the biggest areas of life in our church is in life group. And I would encourage you, find a life group. They're meeting a little bit more frequently now. And uh, we're just, we just really desire to see you be a part of that. All right. Today's sermon's called, God, Are You Serious? Have you ever said that to God? God, are you kidding me? Your kids ever said that to you? Dad, are you kidding me? Sometimes I, I kid enough that they have to ask that relatively often. This time, are you being serious or not? I like that. I like, I like for them to know whether I'm being serious or not. But God, are you serious? Today is all about taking God seriously. Let me throw a statement out at you that I've heard recently. Faith is taking God seriously. Faith is taking God seriously. To take God seriously means to take his word seriously. If a person speaks to us, but we ignore or even reject him, or even reject much of what he says to us, we are not taking him seriously. In fact, we are dishonoring him. Or disrespecting, treating him with disrespect. Now, this weekend was a weekend of, of family and um What's neat is this side, this family I have grown to know. Elizabeth and I have been married 17 years. And everyone that came, Lisa and Chris, I haven't got to know y'all as much. But uh, the rest of the family I've gotten to know relatively well. And it's, it, it was just a great weekend. But usually at these things, it's, hey, how's it going? Job going okay? Marriage okay? Kids okay? Everything okay? Okay. Then we move on to the next one. Very surfacely, surfacy. You know, not, not really, um, gen, not, not genuine, but it's kind of like what we do at church. That's why we need life groups. Because I guarantee you, you probably went through the same motions this morning. Hey, how you doing? Had a good week? Yeah, good. Everything going good? Okay, good to see you. Now let's go talk to the other person. And you never really get to know anybody. But this weekend, it's funny. You guys know I was raised to be a business person. And those of you that don't know, I started in the sound booth. It's our little running joke here. I, I, I had no idea I was going to become a pastor, but every every event that I go to, when people hear I'm a pastor, I get pastor questions. <laughs> and sometimes I forget I'm a pastor. You know, I, I wasn't raised to be a pastor. God's called me in, later in my life to be a pastor, but I get pastor questions. And I, I wanted to do a little shout out. I did this this morning. It was genuine that they cared about what Elizabeth and I are doing, what our church believes, where our church is, where our family is, and ask, asking genuine questions. You know, when somebody asks me something, or if I ask someone something, I can usually tell if they're listening to me or not. You can tell just by their eyes. You can tell by their countenance. A wife knows when a husband's not listening. A husband knows when a wife's not listening. Amen. It's a little quieter. 
I think there was some wisdom in that. But, you know, something that came away from this weekend is how genuinely loving her this, this family is. And to ask an outsider and care about me as an outsider, they haven't seen the family in forever. They, what do they care about me? I'm some outsider. And yet here they are spending time with me and asking me um, questions about me. You know what a good friend does is he, they ask about you. They want to talk about you. You know, I don't, it's hard to be around people that only want to talk about themselves. But when people ask about you and genuinely care, and that's, that's kind of the experience that I had this weekend, even in the pastoral side, is genuine questions being asked. And I know when they're taking me seriously or not. And God knows when, he, when you're taking him seriously. Just like you can read your spouse or you can read your child, God can read you. And he knows when you're being serious with him and when you're not. Today's about taking God seriously. Yet so many Christians relate to God um, this way. They treat his, treat his word like a smorgasbord or a, a buffet. And you know, one good thing about family reunions is you eat all the time. You're either starting eating or you're stopping eating or you're restarting eating or you're stopping eating. It never stops. There's food everywhere all the time. And, you know, we go through the line and you kind of pick out what you like. I like this. I like this. I don't like this. And my kids are going through. And you know what they leave out? They leave out the asparagus. They leave out the broccoli. They load up on Nicole's homemade uh, macaroni and cheese. Mmm. But leave out the stuff that's going to help them. Right? Same thing with us with God's word. I'll bet the scriptures you can quote are, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the country. Blessed coming in, blessed going out. We remember that one real good. What about the one we just sang? You make all things work together for good for those that love him and are called to his holy purpose. We remember that one. But going through the buffet line, we pick these that kind of work in our favor and we leave the ones that say, Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. We leave out the ones that before the head and not the tail, it says, if you will hear my voice and obey my word, if you will hear me and obey me, then you're the head and not the tail. And you know, when we, when we leave out the broccoli and the asparagus, we leave out the things that's going to benefit our body. And we take the things that taste good, but give no benefit at all. Don't give the right kind of energy. Don't, that really doesn't have a whole lot to offer except taste. And I believe that that's where we are as a church and as a nation. We want to go pick the ones that sound good to us and apply those. That's what today's about. We're going to go back and look at four practical ways in which God, God's word applies. Number one, his promises. Number two, his commandments. Number three, his prohibitions. And number four, his warnings. I'm going to go quickly through all four of these today. We're going to look at examples of how it might apply to us. So number one, God's promises. The four Gospels contain many wonderful promises of Jesus. But before we claim these for ourselves, it's important that we establish who Jesus is talking to. Have you ever even thought about that? Have you ever heard, I'm the head and not the tail, but not got the context? What's good is to read the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, but read the curses too. 
they're not good. They're enough motivation to obey. You read, you go and you read the curses. The curses are in there to help you, not to hurt you. But we want to establish who Jesus was talking to. And the writers make a clear distinction between the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and the words that he spoke to multitudes or to individuals who were not disciples. Did you know there's about 900 verses that speak directly to the disciples? And there's about 860 verses that speaks uh, to non-disciples. The distinctive mark of a disciple is commitment. Say that word. Say commitment. They had made an unreserved commitment to obey and follow Jesus regardless of the personal cost. Jesus laid himself down. Uh, Jesus laid down this condition in Luke 14. It says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he says again in 30, verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Obviously, those of us that are living today were not present when Jesus said this, right? We weren't there. So before we apply these promises to ourselves, we need to ask us these questions. Number one, am I the kind of person whom Jesus was speaking to? Do his promises apply to me? And do I have the right to claim them? We do, we do, but we've got some things we need to walk through. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture today. You know, it's very good to align yourself and find out where am I. It's good to do that in your job. I wonder what my boss thinks of me. Go and ask him. Imagine that. Isn't it, isn't it great to know what your boss wants from you? And then you can fulfill that, or you cannot. What's bad is when they tell you what they, you want to do and then you don't do it. Now, that doesn't work. What's bad is when you know what's right to do in the Word and you don't do it. If you don't know it, it's a little different. You know, if you're working and you're working and the boss never told you what you, he wanted you to do and he's hoping you'll just stumble on it, it's a little different. But when you go and ask, how am I doing? What could I be doing better? I guarantee you he'll tell you or she'll tell you. Are you here? I'm telling you, all that does is just give you favor with your boss. It may feel weird, and you may not want to know what he has to say, but let me tell you, what are you doing there if you don't want to know what your boss wants you to do? Do you want promotion? The promotion may not come from that person, but by you doing what that person's wanting you to do and you come under his authority, God will promote you. So our question today is, God... Do I line up with what you're saying? Can I apply what you're saying to me, what you're saying in your word to me? To me, I think that's good. Amen. John 14 gives us some examples. Let's look at the first one. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Praise God. God does not just answer everybody's request. Can you imagine if everything we asked for, we got? If this was just a carte blanche statement that we could just say and all of a sudden we get it, 
Let me tell you, our nation would be in a lot worse shape than it is now. Praise God, we've got a king on the throne that knows the right thing to give us and the the time to say no. It's not just we can just go ask anything in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name that I have $10 million. I'll tell you what, it ruined me. I hate to think where I'd wind up. Whatever you ask in my name. Next verse, verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Because I live, you will live also. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What happens when it says when you ask in my name, when you start to get to know him and he starts to change you, what happens is the things you start asking for are the are his will. You you and he start to get on the same page and the things that you ask for are according to his will and he does it. When we get to know the boss and know what he wants and we line up with it, we get the result. But those beautiful promises were only given to a group of committed disciples. Peter spoke on behalf of all of them when he said... Listen to those kids, I just love that. I hope y'all can hear that. See, we have left all and followed you. You know, we are here to make disciples. We are here to make disciples. And you know that's what's happening over there in children's church? Is we're making disciples. And there's little Samuels over there. There's little Davids. There's little Moseses, Moseses, Moses. There's little Hannahs. There's little Ruths. There's little Sarahs. There's little Rachels and Rebecca's. There is power going on in there and in the youth and in our young people. But to claim these promises without fulfilling the condition is not faith. It is presumption. We need to ask ourselves, am I a disciple or am I just a church member? My job here is not necessarily to grow a church. It's to grow disciples. You know what? You are the church. And if you aren't growing, the church isn't going to grow. It may from a worldly standpoint, but not from a kingdom standpoint. And what we want to do is we want to deal with the surfacey things and stay away from individualism. Don't change me. Let's just grow as a church and kumbaya and have a big time. But just stay away from changing me. It's not going to work. Am I a disciple? Am I committed completely to God? Or am I just showing up to church? I don't know that necessarily that'll preach. But that's what I'm preaching today. <laughs> Are you with me? All right. Second, God's commands. First John chapter two it says now by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Isn't it funny how we just kind of overlook some of these scriptures? I never hear somebody when they're ready to encourage me. Give me this scripture. You ever been encouraged with this scripture? Let me tell you, this is an encouraging scripture. This is where God will show you. He, he, this is his way of telling you. This is how you show me you know me. Praise God. I want to know 
how God will see me as knowing him. Did I, was, that a, was that a twist on words? Did I mess that up? I want, I want God to say over me, he knows me. And the way that I show him that I know him is I obey his commands. If I don't, I'm a liar and the truth is not in me. Church, don't leave here without applying the word to your life. Quit playing a game. Game playing's over. Our response to God's commands reveals our true spiritual condition. Obeying them is proof that we know God. You remember what I said last week? We learned last week that the evidence of a surrendered life to God is obedience. The evidence of a surrendered life is obedience. I, I, I'm sitting here having a, not a flashback, but a moment of like I'm up here just beating you. I'm not up here to beat you. I'm up here to position you to get blessed. You know, there's something messed up with the world when they mess up the word obey. And the, the word obey is the key to God's blessing. We want the blessing without the obedience. And even, I don't know if it's Satan or if it's just the conviction of God coming on me. Just because I'm preaching obedience, I feel like I'm just beating you up. And I want to feel good at church. Don't you? But I want to feel good according to God's kingdom, not according to the world's kingdom. And we can feel good and it lasts a moment. But this kind of feeling good is going to stick with you and is going to protect you and keep the enemy off of you. I'm, I guess I'm needing to encourage myself because I feel like I'm just beating you up. I'm not here. I don't want to beat you up. I want to I want to position you to get blessed. I want the church to get blessed. Amen. The Bible contains so many commandments covering various areas of our lives, but Jesus sums them all up into one that takes precedence over all the others. In John 13, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, let me keep going. By obeying this commandment, we fulfill the entire law. Galatians 5, verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is fulfilled by loving one another. And I believe it's because all of our problems happen between each other. Everything is relational. And if we could love each other, we're not going to be speaking negatively, negatively about each other. We're not going to be doing things negatively about each other. We're not going to be sinning with each other. If we love each other, we fulfill the whole law. Church, the church, the, the world, the church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ is messed up because we don't love each other. We're too busy fighting. But if we would love each other, if we would love each other, all the word, all the law is fulfilled. Love is the end purpose for which all the commandments were given in First Timothy chapter one, verse five. It says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some are, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Again, we can put on our best face and act right, but this love that he's talking about is not game-playing love, it's real love. It's love that's based on a pure heart, 
from a good conscience and from sincere faith. You know what? It's based on God. We had a discussion this weekend about how to forgive somebody for a thing that's so terrible that normally in the flesh you could never forgive. And it's not based on that person or that sin. It's based on who God is and what he's done for you. It's based on who God is and what he's done for you. And the last thing you want to do, and I don't care how bad it is, whatever has happened to you, you don't want to allow that mistake or that sin or that person to ruin the rest of your life. You've already, it's already hurt you. It's been a devastating hurt that you've been trying to battle through. It might have been physical. It might have been mental. And it's real. I'm not trying to say it's not real. It's real. It's a tangible thing there that you're fighting with. But there's no reason to allow that person or that thing to ruin the rest of your life. That's how you can forgive, not based on the person. Not based on the crime. But based on who God is. That's how we can love one another. Not based on who you are, based on who he is. And God loved me when I was unlovable. When I was dark and dirty and full of sin, God loved me. You know, when you forgive someone, it doesn't say that it makes that sin right. It doesn't make what they did to you right. You're not saying, it's okay that you did that to me. No, it's not okay. And it doesn't say you've got to let them do it to you again. It doesn't even say you've got to form relationship with them. It says you've got to let them off the hook for it. Not based on what they did, not based on what it was. Based on God and Him commanding you. And He said, if you don't forgive them... I won't forgive you. Do you see? You're the only one being hurt. Not even the person you're holding unforgiveness against. It's all about love. And how do we love through the middle of people messing up? Are you with me? Any religious activity that does not produce love is a wasted effort. I think that just went right over your head. It's on the basis that we must assess our obedience to God's commandments. We need to ask ourselves, is my life an expression of God's love? Is my life an expression of God's love? The third way that we apply God's word to our lives is God's prohibitions. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Tough statement. God forbids us to love the world. And he compels us to make a choice. Do you remember last week what we talked about was we have the choice of deciding who's in control of my life, me or God, that we are at war with God for who's going to control my life. It's a daily battle. It's an hourly battle. Who has control? We can love the world or we can love God the Father. We can't love both. It must be one or the other. Love God or the world. And in the language of the New Testament, this phrase, the world, is all people and activities that are not submitted to the righteous government of God's appointed ruler. Who is that? Who is God's appointed ruler? Jesus, 
I'm not going to set you up and make you look stupid, I promise. I don't like people that do that. Jesus is the king appointed by God. Those are the world that do not come under that authority. And whether consciously or unconsciously, they are in rebellion of God. To love the world, therefore, is to align ourselves with that rebellion. The pull of the world is so strong, is so extremely strong in our life, and it offers so many allurements and enticements. Um, I said this this morning, just just off the top of my head. I mean, you can drive to Nashville, and just the billboards that you see will put images in your mind. That there, there are, the images are not there, but just the suggestion puts the image in your mind. If you go down to South Georgia and travel just into Florida, you've got all these pornographic statements. All it is is like two words, and that's all it takes to get your mind to go down that road. It's so subtle and it's so quick how easily we can fall off the wagon. Satan has got so many things out here that get us. Parents, uh, I'm jumping ahead. The media is one channel of the world's influence. And with all the different types of entertainment that it offers. And I've come to the conclusion, now catch this, that entertainment is not a Christian concept if it leaves the people entirely passive. What do you mean? In the Bible, God ordained time. He ordained seasons for joyous celebrations. He ordained parties and festivals and all that sort of thing. But everywhere that you see in God's word where there is a festival, where there is um, that kind of joyous activity, the people were never merely passive spectators. They were a part of the festival. Do you hear me? You know, I can, I can go to Cindy Dillon's place of business and go to her Pilates class and not do Pilates and not gain a thing. I can sit there and watch. You know, you can go to a sporting event and watch, but you know what, when you're participating... Things happen to you. You get stronger. You get healthier. You're a part of it. You're not just an innocent bystander standing by and watching. Not sitting on the couch. I'm, listen, y'all all know I'm a big NFL football watcher and I like to watch golf. And I like, I like TV. But with God's word here and with our life, we are to get on the field. We are to get moving. We are to get going. Not sit around all the time and let others do it for us. Furthermore, much of contemporary entertainment has so much moral and spiritual impurity. And it has a subtle defiling effect. Parents, you've got to take a stand of what's wrong and what is allowed to come into your household. And you cannot allow Hollywood or these TV ratings to dictate what you allow. You know, at my house with charter, charter cable, I can put in that they're only allowed to watch PG or better shows. But let me tell you, stuff comes through PG that I never would have thought would be in PG. And I can't allow their filtering system and the Hollywood rating system 
to parent my child. And things that you think are fine will happen in G movies that aren't fine. We had, well, years ago, there was one, I don't remember which one it was, it was a movie with a dog. The whole movie was clean all the way to the end, and then the, one of the last lines of the whole movie was a cuss word. And I thought, why, why make it this far and do that? What do you gain by that? All you do is just upset all those that were having these warm fuzzies about your movie. But they sneak it in. And you know what on TV today? On regular TV, they're allowing more four-letter words than they've ever allowed. Different four-letter words that we never, I never thought I'd hear on TV. Are you here? You've got, you've got to allow God to be your discernment and your correcting filtering. I was saying this morning, we have to watch some of the shows that my kids watch. We watch Hannah Montana. We'll watch Maggie and the Ferocious Beast. We'll just watch these shows. I got a 12-year-old and I got a 5-year-old and everything in between. So Pete wants to watch the Clone Wars and, you know, none of the other kids want to watch that. But And then the girls want to watch their girl shows. So we've got to watch it. My kids are really into watching Wipeout right now. Anybody watch that? I personally like the Japanese version where they're dubbing the, the words over them. But, uh, um, and we've got to watch it. You know, they'll sneak some, sneak some things in there every now and then, just very subtly. But we, Elizabeth and I try hard to stay right involved with what they're watching. Is that radical? Let me tell you, Christianity is a radical religion. All right, finally, I'm going to close with this one. It's God's warnings. In Matthew 24, he gives a prophetic preview of conditions in the last day. And he begins with a warning against deception. Matthew 24, 4, it says, Take heed that no one deceives you. And then in verse 11, he repeats his warning. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Deception is the single greatest danger that confronts Christians today and in the last days. And I want you to know, that here in Matthew 24, Jesus is addressing, uh, he, he addressed his warning to the apostles that he chose and that spent just about every moment of their life for the last three and a half years during Jesus' ministry. Don't you think if Jesus found it important to tell these who have been walking with him every moment that it was important for them to hear it? Don't you think it's important that we hear it? Yet so many Christians feel like the deception isn't, doesn't apply to them. You know, I've said this statement before. If you think Satan can't deceive you, he's already got you. You're already deceived. Deception's already at work. And then Paul in 2 Thessalonians reaffirms the warning against deception in connection with the rise of the Antichrist. It says, The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Many Christians today have the attitude that any message or ministry accompanied by supernatural signs must necessarily be from God. But that is not true. The Bible tells us that Satan can also produce supernatural signs. This nonchalant acceptance of everything supernatural as being from God actually opens the door to deception. There's only one safeguard against deception, and that is to receive the love of the truth 
Have you ever experienced when you're in the middle of a lie or dealing with a lie in your life that when truth comes out, it, it completely stops? There's no more for that lie to grow. There's no more for that deception to move. Truth stops it. There's something good about when the truth finally comes out that all of the assumption is gone. You know, assuming is a terrible thing. You know, when you can't communicate with your wife and you start assuming what she's thinking, your mind goes out of control. Let me just say the reverse. When she starts trying to assume what I'm thinking, it goes out of control. All of a sudden, the world's coming to an end. But when we speak and the truth comes out, the assumption ends and peace comes. Even if the truth is not what you want to hear, there's something peaceful about truth. If we would receive, whoops, that didn't work. If we would receive the love of the truth. This goes beyond merely listening to sermons or even reading the Bible. It implies an intense and passionate commitment to the authority of Scripture that affects every area of our life. Did you know that what I speak to you, you need to be discerning of? As your pastor, you don't just take my word. You, you line it up with God's word. The moment that you don't start using discernment of God's word with my word is the moment you start following man and not God. And I'm going to do everything I know to do to keep you following God through me. I'm not telling you you don't link arms with me and that you don't follow me, but you follow God, and I just happen to be the messenger that is bringing that word to you on Sundays. I hope you receive more than just Sunday's word. It's not enough. But do you know pastors can miss it? If you didn't know that, then it's a great word for you today. Pastors can miss it. That's why you need to know his commandments. You need to follow his commandments. You need to know his word so that when the pastor says something kooky, you get a check in your spirit, you line it up. That doesn't line up. And then what? you know what you do? You come and talk to me. I love that. I love it when someone says, what did you mean by that? Because you know what gives me the opportunity to speak truth rather than for you to assume what I meant? When you start assuming what I meant, your mind races. Satan comes in, gives you some nasty little nugget. And all of a sudden you talk to your neighbor. They agree with you. Then you talk to that neighbor. They agree with you. And then here we go. Where if you'd come to me, maybe I'd have straightened it out for you and said, I didn't mean that at all. This is what I meant, but I can see it probably did sound like that. I had uh, actually our drummer, it was Stephen Dahl, came to me and said, Pastor, did you say this morning that God didn't love us before we loved him? I said, did I say that? He said, yeah, you said that. I said, you know what? That's not true. God loved me when I was unlovable. God loved me when I was as much in sin when I was born from the time I gave my heart to him. He loved me just the same right then. He created me. He loved me. But I said, I think this is what I meant, but let me go back and re-listen to it. Went back and listened to it, and I said, I can see where you're coming from. It's not what I meant. Please, I apologize. And I got up on stage the next week and said, if anybody else received that, I need to correct that because God loved you when you weren't lovable before you ever loved him. Before you were a speck in your daddy's eye, he loved you. He already knew you. So, you need to know God's word and you need to be able to line it up. You need to be able to line me up. Is what he's speaking God's word? Is what I've spoken to you today God's word? Don't miss what I've said today, that it's a part of our needing to align with God before we can ever claim what his word says. 
Do you want the blessings that God talks about that are yes and amen? His promises are yes and amen. Then we need to fulfill the requirement. God never said we had to do it perfectly. He never said you couldn't make a mistake. He just said, if you love me, obey me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you to help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you are so desiring to move in our lives. The the things that we're going through, Lord, you are so desiring to help us get through those. Lord, I ask that we would take time this week to get to know your, your word. And, Lord, to fulfill your commandments, Lord, to obey your commandments. Lord, that's how we show that we know you. And, Lord, as a pastor and as a husband and as a dad, I want you to know that I know you. And, Lord, the way I show you that is by obeying your word. The way I show you that is by obeying you, Lord. And, Lord, when I obey you, you bless me. And you protect me. And you make all things work together for good for me. The, the, The beneficiary is me. Church, when you give your heart to the Lord and you start serving Him and trying to obey Him, it doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. You're the beneficiary. Lord, help us. Help us. If there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would you do that today? Scripture says that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that He has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross, but I believe you're not hanging on that cross any longer. I believe you're not dead and in the tomb anymore. I believe that God raised you from the dead and that you are now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Scripture says if you would do that, that you will be saved. Do that today. Don't wait another minute there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that is in need of healing in need of prayer going through a a difficult marriage or relationship going having joint pain or back pain or cancer or battling any type of health issue i want you to know god's a healer his word says that he is jehovah rope he says i'm the lord your healer and his word also says that he never changes and we have a need and he also says that he is jehovah jireh the lord our provider And when we have a need, he is our provider. Can I ask you all to stand with me? Well, those that are ministering, come forward, please. We want to pray with you. And I just ask you, step out. Let us believe for God to heal you. Believe for God to move in your life. If you are having an emotional issue or a social issue or a physical issue, come down here and let us pray for you. In Jesus' name, amen.